Winter hibernation may be behind us, but a good night's sleep is always in season. You deserve the best rest, and Brooklinen has your comfort covered with a lineup of cozy home essentials made for relaxation. And since it's looking a lot like spring, it's a great time to think about changing up your better bathroom. Brooklinen makes sheets that drove the internet wild and have been keeping people comfy ever since. Their classic and luxe sheets are made to meet the needs of hot and cold sleepers and always look as good as they feel. They work directly with suppliers so you're never caught in the middle when it comes to getting the highest quality materials. We've been Brooklinen customers for years and we recently upgraded to their Lux Satine bundle and it's been fantastic. Shop online at brooklinen.com for a home refresh at its best. For a limited time, get $20 off plus free shipping on orders over $100 with the code WHERE. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com code W-E-A-R for $20 off. And for all of those looking to see and feel the comfort in real life, you can now shop Brooklinen's sheets, towels, and more in person by visiting a store near you. On this week's episode of Where We Are... We're going to play some clips for you and discuss them. I, I'm, I'm not going to give you any more information than that. <laughs> That's the episode. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Where We Are. This is Where We Are. We are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. And Melissa, we... Are gonna use this episode to offer a multimedia experience for our listeners. Okay, Disney World. And we're gonna dip into some audio clips. Uh, heavy focus on 2024, and I think moving forward, we'll we'll do this pretty regularly play a clip or two from the campaign trail that provides a, a insight into how the race is developing. We also have some other uh, clips on uh, other other topics today. But uh, but let's let's jump in. We do have a new candidate on the Democratic side and uh, I'll let you hear directly from her. I'm Miriam Williamson. And when I was growing up, America had a vibrant middle class. The average American worker had decent benefits, could afford a home, could afford a car, could afford a yearly vacation, could afford for one member of the couple to stay home if they wished, and could afford to send their kids to college. But over the last 50 years, there's been a massive transfer of wealth to the tune of $50 trillion from the bottom 90% of Americans to the top 1%, decimating America's middle class. We all owe President Biden a debt of gratitude for defeating President Trump in 2020. But with the things that they're going to be throwing at us in 2024, we need to submit to the American people an agenda of fundamental economic reform, universal health care, tuition-free colleges at state colleges and universities, higher education, including tech schools, paternity and maternity leave, free child care, and a guaranteed living wage. These are things that are considered moderate positions in every other advanced democracy. But in the United States, people have been trained to expect too little. The American people have been played. 
What the Democratic Party should do is to truly return to the principles of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Not just alleviate people's suffering, but offer them genuine economic reform. Not just help people survive in an unjust system. The Democratic Party should end an unjust system. Washington, D.C., with a few brave exceptions, is filled with two major categories of leaders. Those who don't even care about all the suffering that's going on out there, and those who do not have the moral courage to fix it. Let me in there. I will. I'm Marianne Williamson, and I approve this message. So there, there it is. President Joe Biden has, uh, has an opponent in the Democratic primary Marianne Williamson, uh, Marianne Williamson, I'll, I'll be like, I, I, I don't think she should be president. Uh, I'm, I was kind of grateful for her voice in 2020. I think that she has some, uh, helpful things to say. And, you know, I don't think it's the worst thing to have, uh, a voice in the primary that is, um, and you know, there, there are not. Uh, if it's if it's Joe Biden versus Marianne Williamson, there aren't going to be debates. There aren't going to be, you know, she's going to be running basically a social media campaign. Would be my sort of my sort of uh, uh, prediction of how this plays out. But glad she's talking about the economy, and she has uh, she has a number of interesting things to say. I'm going to play a clip from uh, another. Uh, an interview she did with Unheard uh, this week. But Melissa, what do you think about Marianne Williamson? She kind of just sounds like she has developed more policy platforms since 2020, and she basically sounds like Bernie Sanders light to me. Yeah, no, I mean, she... she. Um, I mean, the, the line... I think she was a Bernie supporter in yeah, 2016. She, yeah, yeah, the line of um, Americans have learned to expect too little, that might be too much of a paraphrase, but that line is such a zinger and also feels like something Bernie Sanders would say. Yeah. <laughs> to ether us a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, she, she did this interview with Unheard, and so much of the interview is, is interesting. Flo Reed conducted the interview and I thought she did a great job she gets Marianne on the record on abortion and and uh, talks a bit with Marianne about uh, uh, Democrats avoiding any of the moral uh, sort of contours of, of that issue it's interesting that Marianne was was willing to to uh, affirm that, and but I thought the most one of the most interesting parts of the interview was was this exchange here. You speak in a way, and correct me if you think I'm totally wrong, that I think is very overtly feminine. And what I mean by that is that you use intuitive language. You are not afraid to speak in the language of self help therapizing. You are also openly spiritual, vulnerable, and decidedly untechnocratic. And I just want to know if you think that if America has had this kind of paternalistic treatment for hundreds of years, is there room now for a feminine in politics? And what does that politics look like? Well, I think the politics looks like exactly what you just described. 
What's interesting to me is that, that this is how America speaks today. It's only in politics, like we act like it's fringe. A lot of the people, this is what's so interesting to me, a lot of the people who would be writing articles mocking me actually go to yoga class where they hear my name as the author of some affirmation that they are giving at the end of their yoga class. These are people who are in AA meetings. These are people who go to therapy. That's what is so outrageous, that they are selling their souls that way. They know, some of them know better. And those who don't know better are just trying to protect their perch. I think that, um, I do believe that my, my country's changed a lot in the last few years. I think the world has changed for better and for worse. And I think that a lot of people are willing to recognize what you just said, are willing to recognize the deep misogyny, are willing to recognize the peripheralization of whole aspects of our, of, of our humanity. And now, you know what it's gonna come down to? whether or not people are willing to say so. So a number of really interesting things there. Obviously, the, the well, most interesting to me was, we, we've talked on previous episodes of this show, this idea that our, our political rhetoric is out of touch with the way that everyday Americans talk. And, mm-hmm. one, and one of the predominant ways in which that is invoked is to be like, um, like politicians need to swear more, <laughs> like needs to be more mm-hmm. vulgar, needs to be more sort of visceral uh, language. Talk about issues and people the way that quote unquote real Americans do. Obviously, we're not going to unpack that. It was interesting though, and I think it's so such an such an enticing sort of sort of question for Marianne Williamson to say, I mean, basically, you know, all these op-ed columnists who are demeaning my my self-help language, demeaning spirituality, saying that, you know, I, I believe in crystals or whatever, like we know we know that they're soaking in this stuff. We know that it's the books that Americans read. We know that sort of the belief in uh, physical objects having sort of uh, spiritual force that like broad swaths of the American people believe this kind of thing. I thought it was so interesting for... Williams Williamson to get so fired up about like the in, the injustice of you quote me in your like soul cycle classes. Uh, uh, these are the mantras that you say get you through your day, and yet all and yet bring them to politics, and all of a sudden they're to be mocked or they're not real enough. Wh- which is it? Now we're like Williamson wants to say, wait, if I if I'm real enough for yoga class and spin cycle and for uh, what what you uh, quotes that you put up on your Facebook page, um, then I ought to be real enough for politics. 
I think my argument is like people don't actually mean the stuff that they say in spin cycle and, and yoga class and that they put up on their walls. Like they, they, they like the feeling it gives them, but, but it, it actually, it doesn't ground their lives in a, in a, in a serious way. It, it, a lot of it just doesn't have the substance to do that. So I thought that was, I thought that was really, uh, really, really interesting. And then obviously this notion of, you know, we've had a politics dominated by men and male leaders for a long time. What does uh, what does uh, a feminine politics look like? I think that's always an interesting conversation. Melissa, any any thoughts on that clip? I mean, it's like such a great rhetorical tool to know what your number one criticism is and then to actually take it on and turn it on its head so that people are sort of left like confused a little bit. Um, and I would say... I think it's actually really fascinating that in her announcement video, and despite receiving a question about, you know, the sort of spirituality, usually that's behind like the language that she uses, or, you know, people use the derogatory term woo-woo with her, that the rest of the interview, she doesn't invoke the language at all. And her, in her announcement video, she doesn't even invoke anything like that at all. I mean, we have Joe Biden talk about the soul of the nation, and yet Marianne in her announcement video really wasn't using that kind of language. That's I think that's true. I think that's fascinating. In the announcement video, it's very it's economic, sort of yeah. like red meat. She gets into spirituality a ton in in the rest of this unheard interview. But yeah, no, it is interesting that that's she she certainly doesn't lead with that in the in the announcement Whereas, video. Whereas like she and correct me if I'm wrong, in twenty twenty she was just so known for leading with that. And obviously that's why it attracted a ton of people because again she was I mean not that many, but yeah. I, yeah. More people than one would think, um, sort of thing for some for somebody who doesn't have like a previous uh, um, role in politics. I mean, that's my that's my first reaction to to that particular interview that she's actually taking one of her number one criticisms head on is like a, I feel like a pretty standard way of trying to circumnavigate that criticism. Yeah. No. So she's she's in the race. It'll be interesting to see. If there's a point at which she becomes a thorn in Joe Biden's side, uh, you know, I, I, again, I don't think this is going to develop into like a Hillary Clinton, Bernie situation. Like, mm -hmm. I just don't think. Um, but, you know, she 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 could uh, become a sort of channel for. If no one else gets in the race and there are strong disincentives against anyone sort of announcing against Biden at this point, she could become a sort of vehicle for various groups and interests to try and get certain commitments out of Joe Biden. Mm -hmm, or, exactly. Some, uh, some yeah. entries into the policy platform. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, so... So, uh, so yeah, so super interesting. And just from a, like a faith in politics, religion, uh, you know, Marianne Williamson is just a fascinating, fascinating figure with a very long history in American life. She's the kind of person who will be uh, profiled in uh, books about sort of the rise of self-help in America. She is in some ways an heir of Norman Vincent Peale, mm. uh, which is interesting because uh, in in somewhat different ways, although somewhat similar ways, obviously so is Donald Trump. 
Uh, and so, so that's that's uh, definitely wanted to share that with with you. I think a more serious candidate that announced last month is Nikki Haley, and Nikki Haley was at CPAC this week, and just thought we'd uh, we'd play you a clip from her her remarks at CPAC. It's not just our military. On Biden and Harris's watch, this woke self-loathing has swept our country. It's in the classroom, the boardroom, and the back rooms of government. We're told our country is flawed, rotten, and full of hate. Joe and Kamala even say that America's racist. Wokeness is a virus more dangerous than any pandemic hands down. I have traveled the world and back, and I've seen what's out there. America isn't perfect, but the principles at the heart of America are perfect. And take it from me, the first minority female governor in history, America is not a racist country. Well, there you have it. That's, uh, that's Nikki Haley at the Conservative Political Action Committee's conference. You know, obviously, this is a red meat uh, event. This is playing to the base of the base of Republican Party. A bunch of the candidates, presumed candidates and current candidates were uh, there at the event. And I- interesting to see, you know, Nikki Haley has had an interesting career on these issues. Remember Nikki Haley made news for ordering the uh, the Confederate flag to be mm-hmm. taken down. That's right. And she gave sort of significant remarks on on uh, on on race and, and our history. You'll remember in twenty sixteen her and Marco Rubio were she had endorsed Marco Rubio, and she fought Trump to the bitter end in that primary, based in part on this idea that sort of Trump was uh, not sort of the future of the party, and his uh, his sort of uh, was not welcoming, etc. And so it's been interesting. We've seen this obviously. DeSantis. You know, Tim, Tim Scott, to a certain extent, in his Iowa run, we're seeing all these kind of sort of wokeism, quote unquote, is is taking up significant percentages of their their stump speech. Uh, now, Nikki Haley, a little bit later in in these remarks, and I think she speaks for something like 20, 25 minutes. She does speak to China, uh, you know, and she is former ambassador to the UN. Uh, she does. She does speak to China. I'm a little scared to time out which she spends more time, more time on. You know, like. Um, but isn't that line, Melissa, uh, that uh, the 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 woke wave is more dangerous than any pandemic? Yeah, the two metaphors there. Really incredible. The two metaphors that there's a wave, which wave and sweeping. Those type of metaphors are used constantly in politics around the world. Um, and then comparing to a pandemic, and like my very first reaction is, so wokeism has killed hundreds of thousands of people? Okay, right. 
Yeah, no, it's like it's it's uh It's just So a, so here yeah. here's the it seems like the competition here is to make as big of a deal of again, quote unquote wokeism the wokeism taking over our institutions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, like, to, to drive up the stakes as high as possible and then to sort of make the case that you are uniquely positioned to push back against it. So DeSantis is doing it because he's a sitting governor. So he's, he's doing all these different sort of policy moves. Mm-hmm. S- some are more or less antics. Others are... are, are whatever you say about them, real policy moves yeah. with, with real implications. Um, Nikki Ailey is not currently in office, so she's making a different kind of play. Um, I just tend to think may- maybe that's the way to go. A, I don't think anyone's going to... No one is going to get a rise out of the left as much as Donald Trump does. That's right. And so I kind of think all these candidates are playing a losing. Like, if that's the game they're playing, like, I think they're going to lose. Um, and then the second thing I'd say is, like, I think that there's a different play to make here. Not, not that... You know, looking to you know give advice out, but um, I do think there is. I'd like. Well, I don't know how to say this. I don't, I don't know if it's that I'd like to see it, but a, as a strategist, I would be interested to see how a more sort of like paternalistic, compassionate, um, caretaker kind of approach to the bucket of issues and and kinds of things that are now termed uh, by in conservative circles as wokeism. Uh, I'd I'd be interested to see if like... um, a they know not what they do kind of approach would be more effective. You know, maybe even a, a bit patronizing. In other words, instead of saying it's sweeping our institutions, it's invading our boardrooms, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you know, I'm the only one who can stop it. Like, tr- that's that's Trump's play, and... And uh, Trump is running this time. Like, he's going to win that argument. I'd be interested in, like, uh, uh, yeah, I wonder if there's a, if there's a, a more, uh, a more comforting approach that Republican primary voters might be attracted to when it comes to these issues. But, but the I primary, pri- I mean, here it is. This is the primary. And as you said, this is like the reddest of red meat. Um, and so it's almost like get as red as you can without being Trump seems like would be the strategy if we were reading that particular speech right now in this time, you know, somewhat correctly. But 
it's primary voters. We know where primary voters tend to lean, so you know that would explain a lot. But I think it's also really interesting to contrast that with like you know Trump has released like this latest um, sort of uh, policy platform that's very future looking that feels very general election to me and doesn't rely on any of this stuff that has been making headlines over the past few days. And then you've got, you know, Haley, who is the only other person who has actually officially jumped in the race, sort of taking more Trumpian lines. I think the juxtaposition right now over the last couple of days is like super interesting to me. It is. And actually, let's let's play this clip. Uh, so, and, you know, you just... He really is something else. No, for real. It's, he really it's, is something else. Take it like, so I think of it like this. You know how um, somebody can walk into the room with a red coat and all of a sudden the next day everybody's wearing a red coat because that person has set some new trend, but that person shows up the next day in a green coat and everybody's sort of left like, oh no. <laughs> right. Oh no. Wait, hold up. We're, we're behind. You know, it feels like that kind of thing is going on right now. So, right, it's wild. That, that, like, the policy leader in the Republican primary right now is Donald Trump. Who is the guy who has been criticized, amongst other things, for rarely having a platform, any policy platforms. And then the, the branding is just exquisite. And, yeah. and so he calls it a, a quantum leap vision for the future. Which is... And just go that says everything that that needs to be said. That's like yeah. broadly accessible. You just kind of you, you kind of you get it right away mm-hmm. what he's what he's what he's going for. Uh, yeah, let's it, listen to the clip and then let, we'll yeah, comment let's more. listen to the clip. Past generations of Americans pursued big dreams and daring projects that once seemed absolutely impossible. They pushed across an unsettled continent and built new cities in the wild frontier. They transformed American life with the interstate highway system. Magnificent it was. And they launched a vast network of satellites into orbit all around the Earth. But today, our country has lost its boldness. Under my leadership, we will get it back in a very big way. If you look at just three years ago, what we were doing was unthinkable how good it was, how great it was for our country. Our objective will be a quantum leap in the American standard of living. That's what will happen. Here are just a few of the ways we can do it. Almost one third of the landmass of the United States is owned by the federal government with just a very, very small portion of that land, just a fraction, one half of 1%. Would you believe that? We should hold a contest to charter up to 10 new cities and award them to the best proposals for development. In other words, we'll actually build new cities in our country again. Like that's sweet, right? Like that, that is, that is, uh, that sounds awesome. (laughs) Like, um, uh, like without digging into the weeds here, you hear that and it's like, yeah, why is no one? Why is why is no one building new cities? Like, uh, okay, let's 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 continue. These freedom cities will reopen the frontier, 
reignite American imagination and give hundreds of thousands of young people and other people, all hardworking families, a new shot at home ownership and, in fact, the American dream. Another big opportunity is in transportation. Dozens of major companies in the United States and China are racing to develop vertical takeoff and landing vehicles for families and individuals. Just as the United States led the automotive revolution in the last century, I want to ensure that America, not China, leads this revolution in air mobility. These breakthroughs can transform commerce, bring a giant infusion of wealth into rural America, and connect families in our country in new ways. Likewise, through our strategic national manufacturing initiative, which is going to be very big and very, very successful, we will turn forgotten communities into hives of industry, producing the goods we will no longer import from China. We will also have a major initiative on lowering the cost of living with a special focus on lowering the cost of a new car and lowering the cost to build a single family home and they will be beautiful homes. And I will ask Congress to support baby bonuses for young parents to help launch a new baby boom. Finally, I'll challenge the governors of all 50 states to join me in a great modernization and beautification campaign, getting rid of ugly buildings, refurbishing our parks and our public spaces, making cities and towns more livable, ensuring a pristine environment and building towering monuments to our true American heroes. Very importantly, I will also make sure all of these new places are safe. We love and cherish our police. They will do the job the way they have to. It is time to start talking about greatness for our country again. I will dramatically increase living standards and build a future that brings our country together through excitement, opportunity, and success. Thank you very much. Melissa? <laughs> uh, first of all, my very first reaction when I saw this policy proposal just on paper, not through watching the video, was, Michael, this is, they, the, I am going to forever call this the Jetsons proposal. It is so brilliant in that way in that he knows the age of a lot of his base, and a lot of those people will have grown up or, you know, parented uh, with the Jetsons. And it sounds like that kind of world, that kind of excitement of like brand new frontiers with all this like high tech technology, but for middle class people to actually afford. Um, the second thing, because I think I have, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll let you jump in here very shortly. I have like 16 things to say, is that it feels like this will give so many of his voters and his base the excuse to say, you know, look, this is how he always was. You know, this is who we want. We want the businessman. We want the entrepreneur, entrepreneuring for America, for creating all these brand new ideas. He'll make it happen because I, you know, he made all these, you know, last time he ran on the Supreme Court picks, he made that happen. So I can trust that he's going to make this happen. You know, all that other stuff that he says, you know, you know, every once in a while he gets a little too vulgar for me, but this is really who he is. It gives people the, that perfect excuse by actually giving them not just a policy platform, but one that is so... Um, not like policy platforms we've seen in the last like 20, 30 years that. Well, it, so it, it comes across as the, the ideas don't map on 
the prog- the current sort of progressive conservative divide nope. th- that easily. And so now the the last bit when he talked about sort of a beautification campaign his administration did an executive order on th- that kind of thing in the closing months and we, we we kind of have a sense of the direction they're going uh, there, which which does map onto the current divides pretty well. But you just you just read these policy proposals and you just go, um, yeah, no, it, and and right. So I think it's really important to say, not really fair to call these policy proposals at at, at this point. You oh, know, no, like for sure. but but so you know, here at yeah, we're we're just um we're just reflecting on the uh I think Melissa, you're exactly right. Like what this the ammunition this gives to folks mm-hmm. to to uh to say um for for people who try uh, for for uh, folks who want to support Trump or do support Trump, um, who will be asked about January six, will mm-hmm. be asked about various offensive things that he said and or done and or done for for him to uh, for for them to be able to say. Uh, you know, no. Let's look to the future. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like right. No, yep. no. Uh, um, th- that all may be true or not. We don't. But um, don't we need to? Uh, don't don't we need a, an America that's building things again, that's exciting again? And uh, I, I think a lot of folks will will grab hold to it. it I want to let you continue, Melissa. Do one bit of information I want to add to this conversation is that. There's been this narrative, we've talked about it before, that somehow Trump is, his campaign is struggling. He's Mm -hmm. not getting traction. You know, Trump is yesterday, DeSantis is here. Most of, there are some exceptions, but most of the national polls have Donald Trump. Yes. Ahead, sometimes significantly, sometimes with over 50% of the vote. Now, it's still a long ways out. I'm not saying Trump has this. What it does seem to me is that this is still Donald Trump's Republican Party and Donald Trump's Republican primary to win. He is the, uh, he is, uh, the previous president, the previous leader of this party. And until he's uh, dethroned, that's the position he's going he's gonna to have. But Melissa, any other, any other thoughts about this? Um, I think it's so interesting that uh, the very beginning where he talks about the new frontiers, basically talking about like the Louisiana Purchase and like Manifest Destiny, that he frames it in that kind of like historical terms because there, you know, it's a kind of an allusion to like um, how he's drummed up his base around education and history teaching, um, you know, uh, just sort of talking about American history from almost like you're reading like some kind of like rote textbook kind of thing that a, that a lot of his base will be very happy that he's framed it in that way. That he starts with Eisenhower and the on the highway system, whereas like if a Democrat were to have this kind of vision, they'd start with FDR about how innovative FDR was and how he completely like reimagined a lot of 
um, governmental institutions and what they could deliver. He starts with Eisenhower, you know, Republican, and goes from there. I thought that those two things were really interesting just from, like, the historical perspective that he sets up in the beginning about um, we've been on this trajectory before where we've done great things and we can do them again, obviously, very obviously alluding to his his campaign slogan, but he's alluding to it in a way that actually, um, again, gives people ammunition. There's actually there's something that he's actually illustrating here for people to grab onto when it when with what he actually means by make America great again that isn't stuck in like the polemics and 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 that sort of thing so look so right so if i'm DeSantis yeah the, what do the, you the, do when this is right. put out there so the debate i'm having is do we say yeah these are exciting ideas. I'm open to exploring them them further. The problem is Donald Trump is such a compromised figure uh, that he won't be able to get them done, that we need a new generation of leadership, that he lost the last time, mm-hmm. uh, and so Republican voters shouldn't trust him uh, after you know, quote unquote, you know, what he cost us, you know, a, a Biden presidency. The, the the problem there is you give the opportunity for for Trump to say, um, look, I'm 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 not compromised. I'm I'm attacked because the left is scared of me. Uh, uh, and the left knows, you know, all, all, all of all of your enemies, uh, meaning Republican primary voters, are my enemies, and so you give him the opportunity to to try and re uh, reestablish himself and and deepen his um, the 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 solidarity of embattlement <laughs> of that. He and, and many Republican primary voters face, but I do, I do kind of think um, I do kind of I don't know. It would be it'll be interesting to see if this starts kind of a a policy arms race in in the Republican primary, which is which you know if Donald Trump. You know, uh, it's the one to instigate that. You know, history is an amazing thing. How many turns does it have? Um, but my my impulse would be that I, I wouldn't want to be a naysayer on on, on no, these ideas. No, because I, I was just going. Through. I wouldn't want to be a naysayer. So you know, you don't need to do a full throated endorsement. You don't want to make it seem like Donald Trump is sort of leading the pack, and you're just following along. Yeah. But but I think it is like a you know would be interested in exploring this further, uh, and, and and then I I think you are left making the case that Donald Trump just isn't the person to to execute on uh, on these things that he has been uh, too divisive that he is compromised that he'll be tied up in legal battles that Republican primary voters can't even trust that he be able to make it to a general election because he has all these lawsuits hanging over him like like that kind of that kind of thing but this is a this is if Donald Trump can pair 
which uh, he didn't do in 2016. He certainly did in 20 uh, in 2020. If he could pair some like broadly appealing positive policy goals that like just average people think, yeah, that that'll be cool. That's like the that's like a the coolest policy idea I've heard from a national politician in a long time. If he could pair that with his sort of general sort of red meat, everyone's out to get you, I'm the only one who will defend you, stuff to the base. All the apocalyptic stuff. All the apocalyptic stuff. Um, A, they balance each other out pretty well. Uh Uh-huh, that's what I'm saying. They balance each other out pretty well. And if he So it's it's hard to just say... The American carnage sort of lie. Oh, he's so you know so dark. So I think the average person would go, "What do you mean dark vision? Dark, no. dark vision of America's future?" He's talking about us building new cities and flying in cars. And he and doesn't. So. And from actually creating, building it out to be a true policy platform and not just ideas, he doesn't have to go that much further. Because you know, I was thinking about DeSantis. I was like, you bring up like the how the heck are you going to pay for this kind of thing with being Republicans being you know. For last several, for a longest time, deficit hawks, that sort of thing. Like, how are you going to pay for stuff like this? Is that you know Trump with uh, with all of his you know he's always touted as having because he's a businessman having his business acumen. He could be announcing private public partnerships as part of the policy platform for how it's getting paid for. <laughs> besides actual government, like cutting cutting of all like the 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 fat in like government um departments and things like that he could be announcing those public private platforms like that would be that would be the next step where you build it out as to like how will we actually do this how will we actually pay for it and you don't have to go that deep and people will be like this is foolproof like in a voter's mind yeah you know what sure I mean? so i think the main point here is like don't underestimate trump this yes. time around folks i'm t- i'm telling you don't underestimate donald trump uh, from making a, a political comeback here. Now, again, long campaign. Very long campaign. And it's not just campaign. There are these very serious court proceedings that are sort of ongoing. Yes. You got every Democratic attorney general in the country going after him. DeSantis hasn't even jumped in yet. DeSantis hasn't officially announced. And so, but uh, but yeah, it was, it was a super, super interesting... I mean, I don't think that there is a parallel from the 2016 campaign of that video. No. I don't think you will find no. a four-minute policy video no. <laughs> in the entire entire 2016 campaign. So just just really interesting. Uh, all right. That, well, we have a couple. We're going to gently move <laughs> gently. away from politics. For the rest of this episode, we got, I think, three more clips to share. This one is a gentle move away because this still has much to do with government. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but, uh, but l- listen to this clip from New York City. Oh, my God. Okay. 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 Rachel Bryant couldn't believe her eyes. You can literally see that my apartment building... Is falling off the wall. The whole front of the face of the building is all attached together, and then it's all gonna collapse with the fire escapes and everything off of the side of the building. 
She called the fire department, which called the buildings department, which brought in the Red Cross. And before they knew it, occupants of more than a dozen apartments had learned they had to pack and go. Okay, so when Michael and I watched that TikTok the first time, we both cackled at the reporter saying um, that she called the fire department and the fire department called the building, the building department and the building department called the Red Cross. Like just like the succession of like government entities <laughs> kind of made us crack up. <laughs> yeah, let's let's play just that bit again. She called the fire department, which called the buildings department, which brought in the Red Cross. And before they knew... I love that so much. I don't know what it is, but uh, but yeah, no, that 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 made me that made me cackle. That's that's uh, that's living in a living in the city. That's that's uh, the layers that's, of government. that's the layers of bureaucracy, and and uh, all all ends up with the Red Cross. I mean, I, would would you, Melissa, would you move back into? That apartment, if they just said, like, yeah, we patched it up, you're no, good. No, <laughs> now my apartment is peeling like an onion. No, uh, absolutely not. I'm, I'm gonzy, unless, like, obviously I can't afford to live anywhere else, which is probably up for a lot of them, because New York City uh, I, rentals are just the wild, wild west. Could you imagine calling the landlord? And, you know, it's not, it's not like the toilet's backed up. It's not like... The face of the apartment is melting, my guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Landlord's like, yeah, we're going to need the Red Cross for this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so um, we have two clips left. And actually, now that I think about it, we, we don't quite make the complete separation from politics until the very, the very, last, the very last clip. Uh, here's... Here, here's a clip that Melissa It'll and I, explain itself. That Melissa and I liked. I've had three martinis. Look how cute my boots are. Does the Catholic Church need a liquor license to give communion? Or is it like a free exercise of religion clause situation? No, I will not Google it. Thank you. <laughs> so, Melissa, you... You know, you follow this account. I do. And she's a she's a lawyer. She's a lawyer. Yes. So that's I think that's important uh, background. Uh, I shared this on Twitter. With uh, said that this is what our date nights sound like about four hours yeah. uh, into these them. Kinds of like these kinds of questions. I did go and Google it though. What did you find? I mean, that I know the answer. Not but, all yeah. states, but many states allow the Catholic Church to have a sacramental wine license. And that is what they have. Wait, that wasn't the answer I was expecting. What were you expecting? They have to, they have to be licensed? In some states, yeah. It's a that sacramental wine license. Yes, in some states. Yes. That's wild. Yes, because it's, it's, it's classified as a sacrament. I am so... And during apparently, I, I so desperately, yeah. What were you about to say? Because I was just about to say, like, I, I need to know the history of these laws. Well, like during prohibition, like the Catholic yes, Church, that's what I was hoping. The Catholic Church didn't have to um, was able to serve wine because they had an exemption. There was a specific act that was passed because of prohibition, where in that act there was an exemption for the Catholic Church to be able to still serve wine because it was a sacrament. Again, it was classified as a sacrament. Wild. Um, if anyone. Can refer me to resources 
about ties between the church and bootlegging during Prohibition, <laughs> I will be very grateful. Um, okay, Boardwalk this Empire. Is, you know, no, total Boardwalk Empire. Like, that's no. Uh, and so the second you said that, I was like, oh, there has to be a Prohibition mm-hmm. yeah. tie here. That is that is so awesome. Okay. We're almost through the clips. We have one more clip. And um, this is of a much... I mean, perhaps there are political implications that uh, could be drawn <laughs> from this. But um, we are fully in potty humor stage with our eldest. And... It's uh, poop all the time. It is poop all the time. Everything's poopy. I am. I mean, especially me. Yeah, you are constantly being accused as a poopy butt. I, I'm constantly a poopy butt, poopy daddy. Yeah. Um. And Melissa, what what's the background? What what was happening here? Okay, so um, Sirsha really really loves the little emojis on the iPhone where you can be like a dog, a cat, a cow, a unicorn. And one of them is a ghost and she loves shooting videos where she's the ghost. And so she requested that I start, you know, shooting a video and this is what came out. Poopy butt is a silly word. <laughs> but it needs to be... Who's a poopy butt? Me! <laughs> and it's funny. That's my girl, standard bearer of the wear name. Uh, <laughs> the, the comedic timing. Um, me. 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 Who's a poopy butt? Me. Is incredible. Yeah, and plus when she's in ghost form where it says the me part, it's just very funny visually as well. Anyways. Yeah, like even the, bo- so, even the ghost is in on the joke. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, any other parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles out there just being called poop heads, poopy butts all the time because uh, we are. Yeah, any any advice for how to make it stop? Because, <laughs> I mean, for real, we actually truly think it's funny. And, like, I'm German. Like, Germans talk about poop all the time. So, like, a good part of me is, like, you know, somebody's going to tell her that that's potty humor and that it's not allowed and we should make sure that she knows that and so that she knows to stop, in, especially in certain more formal settings. But uh, More formal settings, <laughs> yes. Than her own home. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so any advice of... To tell her, like, okay, we only we can joke about that at home. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's all we have for this episode. We'll be back uh, next week. This has been Where We Are. Bye.